0: Praise the Lord, it is so good to be here in the house of the Lord one more time. Just so thankful to the Lord for all that he has done, for his grace and his truth and his tremendous mercies. I have to give a shout out to all the prayer warriors, the ones that came together and decided that they were going to labor in the trenches. They were going to access their authority, their power through prayer as they begin to speak in our behalf as we went off to Washington, D.C. this week for the inauguration of the 40, 6th or 47th president. I get lost, I know it was the 59th uh, presidential inauguration, uh, but we're so thankful to the Lord for you praying because we believe, though God may not get the fanfare, we believe wholeheartedly that what took place in DC this past week was the result of the prayers of the righteous availing much. So I want to give you a shout out and thank you from the east coast to the west coast, from the north to the south, and all across the globe for those that responded to our clarion call for prayer that there would be a peaceful transition of power, that there would not be a repeat of the insurrection that we saw only a week prior, or two weeks prior. We're so thankful to God uh, that he hears the voice of his children. The word tells us that he knows the voice of his children. And we're so thankful, again, that uh, not only did you pray, but our Lord responded as he said he would, and things were just wonderful. We want to uh, continue where we've been talking uh, about who we are in Christ, our true self. Understanding our identity is paramount to being able to fulfill all of the potential that we have, not in the life to come, but in the life that we live right now. This past Wednesday, we watched a transition of power within our government. And on January 6, 2021, we watched as there was an insurrection attempting to prevent the peaceful transition of power, which is the bedrock of our democracy. We understand that whoever is in power will determine the policies, the laws, and even determine the cap to our potential as individuals or corporately as a unified group of people based upon any given demographic. We as the children of God, if we are to fully recognize our true selves, must understand that there will be no peaceful transition of power within the life of a believer. You have to understand that, in fact, the truth be told, there is a violent overthrow of our former selves as framed in the death the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord Christ Jesus. This was not peaceful. It was not tranquil, but it was violent. We must stop looking for there to be peace between our former ruler, which is our flesh, and our now ruler, which is the life of Jesus. Our entire identity has changed from that which was describably self-focused to that which is now undeniably indescribable. Since I am now a new creation, and there has been an overthrow of my former identity, it is vital for me to know what empowers this new life or this new creation. When I do not understand the power that I am under, It makes it difficult for me to realize in real life the potential that this new leadership offers in my identity. We have to see and recognize that it is the Spirit that gives life. The term, the law of the Spirit of life, simply means the law of the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of life, which is Christ Jesus. Within the universe, there is a law so important that it has become the law of the Holy Spirit. It is called the law of the Spirit of life. Very simply, life is in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. Within Christ, within his very being, is the Spirit of life. The very energy and being of life is found only in him. This fact is important. As a matter of fact, it's so important that God has written it into the very laws that govern the universe. It is tagged the law of the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus and in him alone. The spirit of life for which we long and ache is available in Christ Jesus. Most often, many of us struggle seeking after something in life never really being able to attain the very thing that we're seeking after, because in most cases, we don't even know what it is we're longing for. So we try to fill the longing with things that in actuality are temporal and lack the longevity of eternal existence of living. We have to understand that the only way we can fulfill this longing that exists in all of humanity is through that which is eternal, and only Christ is eternal. In him, the Bible says, was life, and the life was the light of men, John 1 and 4. John 10 and 10 goes on to say that I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. You cannot even fulfill or realize the full potential of what life is outside of Jesus. John eleven twenty five 25, and 26 says, "'Jesus said unto her, "'I am the resurrection.'" And the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this. You have to understand there's a conversion in your thinking as to that which generates the power of your living. The things that motivate you to take breath after breath, the transition of power has changed from the things that were just temporary to the things that are now eternal. John 14 and 6 teaches us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way, he is the only truth, and he is the only life. John 5 and 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life, uh, we have to understand that uh, these uh, scriptures lead us to a very critical question. It's a question that helps us uh, kind of cover the divide of where we were and where we. Are now, uh, there's this uh, thinking that we're trying to attain something when God is trying to get your brain to comprehend or to process an understanding that you are not trying to attain what he has already attained, but he wants you to walk in what he has already accomplished. In other words, I don't have to build the house, all I have to do is live in the house. I'm so thankful to God that he has done all the work all I have to do is walk in it. You you ought to look at your neighbor on your couch and just give him a high five and tell him praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But the critical question that really should be kind of burning in your heart is how does the spirit in actuality give life? Well, uh, you know, The Spirit uh, has something to do with how you secure everlasting life. So how do we go about securing the Spirit of life so that we can uh, not die but live eternally? Well, the Spirit gives life by freeing the believer from sin and death. Sin leads to death, uh, or in essence, from another law, which is called or tagged the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death simply means the rule and the reign of death in the life of all humanity. You see, absent Jesus, you are under rulership, but the rulership is not what you think. Some people think that they're in charge of their own destiny, but in actuality, they're not. What they're doing is living under the law of either sin and death, or the law of the Spirit, which is eternal life. And the law of sin and death will lead all of humanity into everlasting separation from God, which is life. So every man, we understand, dies. Therefore, death rules and reigns over every man. But the Spirit of God freeze man from the rule of rain and and rain of death. Uh, This is natural and it's understandable. It is in in, in essence common for it is a rule of the universe. Uh, If a person has the spirit of life, and he naturally does not have the spirit of sin and death. He is not sinning and dying. He is living righteously and eternally. This is exactly what the spirit of life does for the believer. It frees the believer from the power or the rulership of sin and death, from the law or the energy behind sin and death. It frees the believer to live righteously and eternally, to live in the spirit of life or in the energy or the power power of life. Uh, Let me state this another way. The Spirit of life uh, frees you, the believer, from both sin and death. The Holy Spirit uh, frees the believer to live, now watch this, as Christ lived uh, and continues to live, to actually live out the very life which Christ lived. This is the fulfillment of the scripture that we have kind of uh, founded all of these uh, last four sermons on, is that I am now what he is. I'm not going to be what he is. I have already become what he is. You have to understand that God's desire is for every believer to live out in this existence the very power and life of Christ, the very active energy of life itself, the dynamic force and being of what is life. All that is, that is, is in Christ Jesus. Uh, It's given to the believer. So the believer actually lives in Christ Jesus. And the spirit of life, uh, which is in Christ, then frees the believer from the destiny uh, uh, of the law of sin and death, uh, which is eternal separation. So this simply means that the believer lives uh, in a consciousness uh, of being free. Now, most of us, uh, we struggle with our own freedom. Uh, you liken it to somebody who has spent many years incarcerated, you'll find that when they are freed physically from their incarceration, they're still bound psychologically and live out an incarcerated existence, even though they've been physically freed. You've got to understand, people of God, that there are many walking in the body of Christ, who have lived Uh, incarcerated in the law of sin and death, uh, and when they uh, have uh, come to a level of freedom or to the place of freedom because of the transition of power or the rulership over their life because they've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, though they've become spiritually free, they've been bound mentally or psychologically in a state of being that locks them into something that drives them to try to attain what god has already released so they believe they're working for their freedom rather than enjoying or living out their freedom. They live a regimented existence rather than living an existence that allows them the ability to simply walk in the newness of life born after Christ Jesus. I am now dead, yet Christ liveth in me. So that everything I do, I do then by the power of the indwelling of the Christ that is in me. You see, we're not working towards freedom. We have attained freedom because Jesus did what was necessary for freedom to be loosed into our hand we breathe and we sense a depth of life a richness a fullness of life that is indescribable we live with power authority and a mentality over the pressure and strain the impediments and the bondages of this life even the bondage of associated to sin and death for which we have been freed. Those shackles have been broken and now I am liberated into life. We live now and shall live forever. We sense this and we know this not just in our physical state of being or in our mental state of being or in our spiritual state of being, but in every state of being that houses our humanity. Uh, we sense this. Life to us is a spirit, a breath, a consciousness of being set free through Jesus Christ. Even when we sin and guilt begins to set in, there is a tug on the inside, a power, that's the Holy Ghost, That draws us back to God. We ask forgiveness and removal of the guilt. I read about that in 1 John 1 and 9. And immediately upon asking the same power, that's that Holy Spirit in us, it instills, watch this, an instantaneous assurance of cleansing. Ah, I know that my brothers and sisters in the Catholic faith will tell me that the cleansing comes by me repeating some prayer or something, uh, you know, that that, that kind of uh, justifies uh, or, or, or is some type of recompense for my failure in my human condition, or, or giving in to that temptation. Uh, but I'm here to tell you that Jesus, over 2,000 years ago, already took care of that. He walked into my future. He took every step that I was going to take. He dealt with everything that I was going to do, and in that moment, in an instant, uh, he dealt with all uh, that is me uh, so that I could be all that is him. All oh, you ought to jump out of your couch right now uh, because this gives us the, uh, the ability to feel free. We feel full of life because having life is liberating. It liberates the power that God has given us to live free rather than living bound. We should be bubbling over with a depth of richness and fullness of life itself, which is Jesus. We are full of the spirit of life, or in essence, we are full of Jesus. The world will tell you you're full of something else, but I'm here to tell you that As a believer, you are full of Jesus. Uh, uh, Life itself has become, uh, once again, a consciousness uh, of living. We live now and we live forever. The Bible in 2 Corinthians 3 and 17 says, Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Liberty. That means I'm not bound. If the Spirit of the Lord is dwelling richly on the inside of me, then I cannot be bound, because where the Spirit is, there is liberty. So every time something comes along that tries to bind you, you ought to remind it that the Spirit of the Lord dwells here, and because the Spirit of the Lord dwells here, there is liberty, and I cannot be bound. As a matter of fact, you ought to tell your situation that there is no shackle that can bind me. There is nothing that can imprison me again because the law of the power of life is dwelling on the inside of me. Oh, that ought to give you a little leap in your spirit. Hallelujah. Now, the Spirit gives life by doing what the law could not do. The law could not make man righteous Because man's flesh is too weak to keep the law. No man has ever kept the law. No man has ever been able to keep the law. Not to perfection or even close to perfection. All flesh has miserably failed. So we have to understand that when you look at the frailty of your human condition... We should not expect excellence out of a condition that is impossible for you to find lasting success. So, my success then is not in my fleshly ability or my fleshly appointment, my success is in my spiritual appointment in Christ. We have to understand that all flesh will die physically and spiritually. Therefore, righteousness and life cannot come by the law since the law governs the flesh. But what the law could not do, the spirit is able to do. He can provide righteousness and life because righteousness and life are not born of the flesh or the things of the flesh, but they are born of the spirit. So because they're born of the spirit, the righteousness that has transcended the fleshly condition can be transferred to me. Even though I lived in the flesh, I am born again into the spirit. So let's, let's look at this. The, the spirit of life, uh, it gives life uh, because it frees us uh, from sin. Uh, the spirit gives life by Christ condemning sin itself. Uh, in the flesh. You see, Christ condemned sin in the flesh by doing three things. Number one, Christ pointed to sin and condemned sin as being evil. So, anyone that tells you that you can live any old kind of way and it's somehow okay is misguiding you into a false sense of living and thereby moving you out of the law of your freedom or your liberation and moving Moving you back into a place where you are bound by a conditional existence. Sin is Evil, and we cannot negate that. And Christ points to sin and condemns it as such. The very fact that Jesus Himself never sinned shows that sin is contrary to God and to God's nature. Christ rejected sin, and by rejecting it, He showed that it was evil, that it was not to be touched. He condemned it as evil and unworthy of both God and man. You've got to understand something. Some of you are living beneath your potential because you're living a life of sin, and sin is beneath you. Sin is less than you. Sin is not your portion. Sin is not something for which you should be subjugated to because Jesus has freed you from sin. You ought to give God some praise right there. Christ also secures for us righteousness. He secured a state of being that makes us right in the sight of God. When He came into the world, He came with the same flesh that all of us are born with—the same flesh with all of His desires, with all of its passions, with all of its potential for evil. However, He never sinned—not even once. Therefore, He secures for you and I a perfect righteousness, and because. Because his righteousness is perfect and ideal, it becomes the model and pattern of all righteousness for all mankind. It stands for and covers all the unrighteousness for all men. His perfect righteousness overcomes sin and the penalty of sin, which is death. It condemns sin. It's important for you to understand that he condemns sin through the flesh. Therefore, all flesh finds its perfection and ideal in his righteousness and his perfection. All flesh finds its power to condemn sin, not in the flesh, but in Christ, because Jesus is our ideal righteousness. John 8 and 46, which of you convinces me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do ye not believe? For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You've got to understand, people of God, that who you used to be, the power that you used to be under, that which identified you before your knowledge of your liberation through Christ Jesus, that power has been eradicated. There was an overthrow. There was an insurrection that took place, and your flesh don't lie it your flesh is upset about it your flesh wants to revolt your flesh is trying to gather all its forces and resources together to try to get back in control but you ought to just stand there and declare what has made me free it will keep me free I am free indeed I am free indeed thank God almighty I'm free indeed Somebody ought to give God some praise. Let me leave you with this. Christ, third point, Christ allowed the law of sin and death. Watch this, because it's a law, it has to be carried out. He allowed that law to be enacted upon Him instead of it being enacted upon you. You see, Jesus didn't sin. Mankind sinned. So the natural consequence is corruption and death. However, Christ approaches God and he has this conversation with God. And in this conversation with God, he makes two requests in our behalf. First, he asked God to accept his ideal righteousness for the unrighteousness of man. Second, he asked God to lay all of mankind's sin and the, the death that is associated with sin upon himself. He asked God to let him bear the recompense of the law of sin and death for man and to experience hell for man. He asked God to let him condemn sin and death in his own body upon the tree. 1 Peter 2 and 24. You see, he was the perfect ideal man. Therefore, he could bear all of the violations of the law and all the experiences of death for all mankind. God so purposed and God bore the awful price of having to condemn sin and death in the death of his very own son. Sin and its power have been made powerless to you. Death has been conquered. The Bible declares, grave, where is thy sting? Or or, or death, where is thy sting? Grave, where is thy victory? It's swallowed up in Jesus. Hallelujah. Romans 5 and 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Corinthians 15 and 3, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Hallelujah. You see, in my closing, I want you to understand something important. The Spirit gives life because Christ provided righteousness for us. He did everything necessary to make you righteous. So you don't have to go about making yourself righteous. You see, because I may do righteous things, it is not my attempt in doing those righteous things that they be the things that count me as righteous. I told you last week that my behavior is a commercial for my faith, what I believe. The things that I do testify of who I am. They testify of what I truly believe. Do I believe that I am free In the righteousness of Christ, or do I believe that somehow I'm trying to attain the righteousness of Christ? And then we find ourselves failing when you have this belief that you have to do all these different things to make yourself right in the sight of God. Because you'll always be reminded in your flesh of the rebellion that is in existence in your carnal nature. You see, your carnal nature, the Bible tells us, makes war with the law of the spirit of life that is in you. Your carnal nature wants to drive you back to the things that are not like God. And you begin to think that because in these moments, in these times of struggle, that you've somehow lost your connection because maybe you have failed. Some of you on this past week, maybe dealing with some level or type of failure in your own mentality. And you think that because you have endured a contradiction of your faith as as described or determined by what you may have done in this natural life, that it somehow now has disqualified you from what Christ did. But the glorious news is because I'm living by the power of Christ in me, every rebellion in me can be squashed. Everything that rises up in me that is not like him, the power is already in existence in me to squash it and to continue to live in the freedom that God has given me over sin and death. My mentality changes. The policies that I follow have changed. We look at this transition of power that's taken place in our own government the very first day, the very first moment that President Biden swore an oath, took the office. And received the power of the presidency of the United States, he immediately began enacting new policies, enacting uh, executive orders that superseded the executive order of the previous president. <laughs> you see, What was in power before, what policies were in place before have been renewed or been removed by the new power that is in existence in your life. That means some new stuff is happening. There are some new benefits for which you have access to. There's some new doors that have been opened for you and some doors that have been closed. There's some opportunities now that are in existence that were not in existence before under your former ruler. You've got to understand that there has been a change in your life. And because there has been a change, you cannot live your life now under the policies of your former governor. But this is what most of us do. We've been taught most of our life, you have to do these things to acquire love. You have to do these things to acquire blessings and um, friendship and all these different things, These, these things that we account to be good in our life, that we have to work for these things. But under this new rule, All the work has been done. All the blessing has been released. All the freedom has been delivered. But I can't access those things if I keep identifying myself with who I used to be. This is why you will never hear me say, I am a sinner in need of a savior. Because the identity of sin was who I used to be, it is not who I still am. My identity is locked into who I am and it is the key that frees me to function in what the new identity has offered me. But as long as as I'm trying to live in this new identity, under old identity rules, I will never realize my full potential. There's a phrase in psychology that deals, or that talks about, or that deals with bringing old baggage into new relationships, holding new people accountable for what other people did. I treat you this way, Not because you did me wrong, but because the he or the she that came before you did me wrong. And I decided that when they did me wrong, no one would ever do me wrong. So I treat you at arm's length rather than allowing you to become intimate with me because the last one that was intimate with me hurt me. So I cannot enjoy real intimacy in my new thing. Because when I was intimate with my old thing, it broke my heart. And I've allowed that old hurt to translate itself into a new state of being, not realizing that that potential, that joy, that peace, that power, that liberation that's available to me in this new relationship stunted because I keep governing this new relationship under old rule. I I govern it under who I used to be rather than who I am. If I am new and I'm new because the life I live, I live now as Christ is now. That means I'm not defeated because Christ isn't defeated. That means I'm prospering because Christ is prospering. That means I'm exalted because Christ is exalted. That means I have wisdom. I have access. I have knowledge. I got friends. I got people that got my back. I got folk that you can't even see. I've got a host of angels encamped around about me because I fear the Lord. I have access to these things because I'm now something that I was not. So Jesus took care of what was necessary so that I can move from one authority to another. They just swore in a new Senate. The the new vice president swore in the new members of the Senate, which has now changed the dynamic of the Senate. The Senate is that which makes laws. People of God, you've got to understand. There's new rulership in your life, and because there's new rulership in your life, you are identified differently. You're identified differently. You're not only identified differently by your enemy, but you have to be identified differently by yourself. You have to see yourself as you are now, not as you were. That's why I can say, I am the redeemed of the Lord. That's why you can say, you are the redeemed of the Lord. You are undeniably now indescribable. You're indescribable because it's difficult for God to describe himself to you, and you are what he is right now. Just let that marinate in your mind for a while. I am now the undeniable indescribable. That is what you are. Matter of fact, you ought to put that on Facebook. I am the undeniably indescribable. That is who I am. God bless you heaven smile upon you and grant to you great peace as you begin to inhabit or live out who you are now after the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.